So my name's Penny Ferguson, and I'm founder and CEO of The Living Leader. Um, and as I've said uh, before, I'm probably best known for the person who designed the personal leadership program, who's, and we've had, I have lost count actually, I can never remember if it's 65 or close to 70,000 people, but a considerable amount of people from across the globe who've been through the personal leadership program. And who in many instances will say that it's changed their life just through really beginning to get an understanding of what leadership is and the impact it can have on every single part of your life. So this is part of our, our podcast, our series, and on each of these I am speaking with um, somebody that I know is a really good leader, in some instances absolutely great leader, who've had experience of the difference between management and leadership and sometimes talking a little bit about their journey and what they've taken and how their life has changed from really beginning to get their head around what does leadership mean. So this time I am going to be uh, speaking with Jane Archbold. So I first met Jane when she was managing director of one of the divisions at SAGE. And she didn't just go through the program, she decided to put herself um, through the masterclass. She did this actually when Paul Stobart, who you've already heard on one of the podcasts, I hope, um, when Paul was CEO, and he did actually go through the masterclass with three of um, his colleagues, and Jane was one of them. And the division that Jane was heading up was probably the division that was gonna be most difficult to really improve performance. And having been through the program, she uh, improved her style even more. She also delivered a lot of programs and performance in that division absolutely took off. It was incredible. Jane has now moved on. She's now CEO of a company called Iptor, doing the same sterling job of winding up performance again. And so this is my conversation um, with Jane uh, again, talking about maybe some specific bits of the program that she really took from it. Um, but Jane has also become, as have all of my clients, a very good friend. So I really hope that you enjoy listening to Jane. Okay, Jane, good morning. Thanks so much for coming and, and talking to me about this. And let me just reiterate why we're really doing this. Um, this is going to be Online Living Leader. And of course, it's about everybody who's been through the program are then able to download it over a year, a bit at a time, so that it begins to reinforce the messages. Because you know how just occasionally people get sucked into work and are inclined to slip just a tiny bit. So it's going to be a reminder. But the intention is that for every bit of the program, somebody who's really worked with this um, is able to share their thoughts and ideas about what it's meant for them and how they've worked with it, you know, when, when back in their particular position. So before we get on to talking about the um, integral performance model, which is a bit I know that you're very passionate about, just tell me what your feelings are about leadership. Okay, so for me, leadership and a mark of outstanding leadership is not just how good a leader you are, but how many people that you develop. And this has really been one of the highlights, not just of my career, but of my life. So when I look back and see what people are doing, either professionally or personally, that's something that sort of makes me very proud that I've had a part in making that difference, but actually they've done it for themselves. So, so that really is, is what leadership is to me. 
And while you're talking about that, let's just look at the leadership definitions as well. Okay. Because you know what we use on the programme. Sure. I mean, there's always defin definitions coming out, and they'll be coming out forever and a day. But also, you know me, I like to keep it simple. Sure. So for me, the uh, outstanding managers drive people to perform at the highest level they're capable of, very much about control. Outstanding leaders inspire them to do it for themselves, which is more about freedom. How important have those definitions been to you? And when do you think you need management and when do you think you need leadership? Okay, it's been really important. And I think when I, if I look back to my early years as a manager, it was very much more management, which is around control, having the right KPIs in place, and really driving performance. And then when I really started thinking about leadership, and that's all about inspiring people to think and do things for themselves, you can create amazing things. It is about balance, so even now in my current role as a CEO, um, I have to spend days where I'm looking you know, for our, our shareholders and owners, you know, very much around KPI-driven and, and management, but as the CEO, I would suggest I spend the majority of my time in more of a leadership position, really inspiring people and, and giving them frameworks, but then the freedom to do it their way and, and ensuring that they've got support from me to do that. Okay, let's just talk about, because you had an extraordinary impact when you brought this, uh, Paul Sturbart brought into Sage, and you were part of his top team. Um, now, the integral performance model, which is very much about organisation and individual. Talk to me about the impact that had on your understanding of it, and how you then used it or worked with it. And let's at the moment just talk about Sage. Okay, great. So if I look at... Up until me understanding integral performance, and it was just like a light bulb sort of went off in my mind at that point because everything to that point had very much been about organisation. So throughout my whole career, pre and including Sage, it was all around making sure you've got the right vision, have we got the right strategy, assuming we've got the right products and services. But then when you're not getting the performance that you want, quite often putting another KPI in place or another process, and it just dawned on me, obviously individuals and people have always been a real passion, but the importance of that focus on the individual and getting that balance right just became um, crystal clear to me. And I then shifted where I was focusing my attention around, well, actually, let's assume, and certainly at stage, we had a very strong vision and we had a strategy, we had the measures in place, so that I, I could trust that that was there and really, as the leader, spend my time focusing on individuals and teams to really get that balance and drive the business and the impact on performance was, was incredible. So you not only um, experienced the programme and got that understanding, you then actually moved on to going through the masterclass. Talk yep. to me about how you found that. Okay, um, intense. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I mean, great fun, but to be on there with my boss um, and two of my peers, it was a little daunting. Um, yeah. and, and actually to get there, we found we were all a little nervous. Um, but the rigour of going through it, and when I came from that programme, um, you know, I'd been through the, the programme itself, but the depth of understanding, of kind of practising, and really when you're then going to be teaching it yourself, you really do get it. And that has kind of helped me um, throughout my whole career, and not just professionally, but personally, think things through very, very differently. So what I would say is, um, intense, you really have to focus. Challenging, because you've got your day job, but you've got to focus purely on this for that duration of time. 
and I'm so pleased that I did that now and not get bogged down with a whirlwind of distractions that are happening and really invest in me and my time because it's made a massive difference to me both professionally and personally from all of those years ago when I went through the masterclass. Now, I do remember hearing from Paul that when you did the rollout in the division um, that you were heading up as managing director of that time, that I think your division probably is the one that shouldn't have turned around the most. And you turned it round almost unbelievably. You got higher results than anybody else at all. Just talk me through that and talk to me a little bit more about when you think about the difference in the organisation individual. How did you really bring that in and how did you do your damnedest to keep that balance in place? And also, how did you keep that focus and keep people in, in that division going okay. in that way? Okay. Well, it, it was a challenging time in a, in a very highly competitive market. So um, a lot of new emerging competitors coming in, challenges around price, product, etc. So we did work on the organisation side to make sure that those things were in place. But I trusted that that was you know, in place, it was right. And how could we then take this through, starting with the top team, so with my team first, to understand you know, what people were thinking, how were they going to make a difference and change their thinking so that we could get different results. And we needed a practice. So the first thing, just simple things, so we all went through the programme together. So okay. I delivered that programme um, as part of my pilot. Yep. So the team did it. Um, we then started practising. So formally every month we would just spend 30 minutes in my management meeting reviewing oh, certain things, reviewing what had been going well, what have we been doing differently, what results were we getting as a consequence. So just investing 30 minutes once a month to keep the focus there so that the team knew this wasn't something that was going to go away. And once we got more confident, we then chose to roll this down to the next level. And we literally went function by function, prioritising where we felt would make the biggest difference. Yeah. And there were two areas for me at the time. One of them was sales, because we needed to get a higher performance commercially. But the second, interestingly, um, was product development. And we knew we wanted to get some change of thinking from a fairly traditional product set. So that was why that was really important. And actually, if I talk about product development um, as being one of my key highlights, these were people who typically been working there for a long time, very stuck in their ways, developing using the same code base, similar products, and not an awful lot of excitement going on in their day job. Mm. So coming on the programme, first of all, you know, they're thinking, well, I'm not just leading a team, and it's not about that, it's about the individual, yeah. and how could they make a real difference? And we got amazing feedback. And I was probably prouder of the results coming from that team because it was less expected than a sales team who are typically more outgoing and, and more used to training. Yeah. So that, for me, was fantastic. And the leader um, from that you know, overall function yeah. managed to inspire not just his next level down but really teams within that organization and as a consequence they were able to think very differently about products and we were able within six to nine months to launch a different view of our product set which i believe today is is still you know leading the way in that part of sage so that was a fantastic achievement for me i mean that is really uh, amazing when you think about it when we look at the ip model we're saying that fundamentally we need to get people to shift the way they think in a really quite profound way and get them to understand responsibility. Okay. 
um, I believe most people don't understand responsibility. What do you think about that? No, I, I would agree. And, and if I use that example, um, they'd very much had top-down driven management. This is yeah. what you need to do. Yeah. And they were following that and they didn't really take responsibility um, for their own thinking, for their own actions. So unlocking that and getting them to understand what responsibility really does mean, um, we were able to make a huge difference in terms of performance across the business. But not just around the performance of the business, the amount of people that have said to me that has really changed their life, mm -hmm. how they actually are with their family, and particularly those who had small children, going from very much you know, tell mode to listening, asking more questions, yeah. Uh, it completely changed relationships. So I've seen evidence of that both in the workplace and at people's personal levels. And I'm still friends with many of those people now and actually seen their children grow up to you know, much more confident um, individuals who are taking responsibility for themselves as opposed to being told what to do all the time. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's incredibly inspirational when you uh, see and hear that. Tell me, what do you do? Because you've gone in actually to a culture where you are right now which is very top-down is very dictatorial how easy do you find it if you're moving from the organization to the I side to actually get people to have the courage to begin to think differently when they've been educated to do the exact opposite okay. how do you go about that it's got to start with me as the, yeah. as the leader of the organization and um, bit of a culture shock for me initially, coming from years of being able to put all of this in practice and, yeah. and very much focus on individuals to a command and control culture and global with different nationalities, etc. So first of all, making sure that you have got the right management controls in place, so yeah. they have to be there. Yeah. So back to the integral performance, it's about balance. Yeah. If I'd gone into my position as the CEO of, of, of IPTOR, and focus purely on individuals, it wouldn't have worked. So I had to make sure that the building blocks were in place. So review the strategy to say, well, let's be really clear. What are we trying to achieve here? Do we all understand and know what, what that means for us? Do we know which products, which services, which markets and getting that clarity and then sharing that and, and enabling the whole business, not just the leadership levels, but everyone to understand what it is this business is about and, and what we need to do. Once that was in place, and it, it's taken a little bit longer than I anticipated, yeah. because at the same time as doing that and communicating with people, having to deliver the day-to-day -day performance and report to the owners and the shareholders, so all of the management stuff has to be going as well, yeah. I then had to start to take teams of people. And I changed a lot in my leadership team so that was the first thing, having yeah. the courage to be able to do that because there were some people that just wouldn't get it. Um, others did. So they are, have remained with me and I've brought some people, mixed of people around who have a very you know, mindset for change and wanting to make a real difference with, with people. And then we've started going through, you know, changing the organisation. And again, not trying to do everywhere at once, but picking the areas that will make a real difference. Um, so it's about focusing and accepting that you do have to have that organisation aspect in, in place, otherwise um, it will fail without that balance. It's really interesting. You've almost answered a question that I was going to okay. explore with you anyway, <coughs> which is uh, something I asked uh, Chris, who, as you know, is a leader I think is amazing. Uh, 
Um, how do you handle it when you go into an organization and you've got people in the team that you're just taking over and the culture is one as you described you've walked into, very dictatorial, very autocratic, that sort of style. People used to being told what to do. And you've got some people who are more inclined to go the way you want because you want that culture. But you've got somebody who's delivering the results you want but totally countercultural and not prepared to change. How do you handle that? Okay. Um, it's not an easy one, Penny. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first thing is understanding the team. Um, so we cover introductions on the programme. I don't label that as introductions when I do it, but I do it with the team. And when we, every time, without fail, we bring a new member into the team, I do that. Right. Um, I'll often do it over dinner, so we may meet for dinner the night before a meeting right. and do it in an informal environment. It will really depend on, on, on the circumstances. But getting the team to understand me, what I'm about, what my values about, are about, how I think, and therefore how I make decisions, so they can understand me and getting them to share and this is not just in the job I'm doing now this has kind of been historical and some people are just very uncomfortable and you know we understand that we're coming from maybe a different place and then it's about having honest conversations around what, what is right so it's <coughs> it's not for every individual I had this chap working for me was never going to get it um, and, and admitted that and we decided actually the right choice for him would be to do something else yeah. and that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Um, so I think supporting people and understanding people, when you understand each other at a deeper level, you know, the strength of the relationships and I'll give you a great example. So I hired somebody recently, it took me nine months to find the right candidate. I knew what I was looking for, they had to have a very specific skill set, but the behavioural set and the cultural fit was just so important to me. So nine months is the longest it's ever taken me, and this was someone coming in as a COO position, so I had to get it right. Yeah. And I'd been doing my job plus that job for all of that period, God. so it was tough. The guy joined us three months ago, and just a couple of weeks ago, I can just tell now uh, what's going on for him because we've shared the introductions, we know, and he said to me, Jane, I've worked for people for 20 years and they never got me. You've just got me within seconds. Wow. And the power of that, because we took the time, one, during the interview process to really get to understand each other, but then when he, and I get a little nervous around me doing this, and he said it was one of the toughest interviews most in-depth he's been through, but when we did that introduction session as a team, he really understood why. And he says he feel, within three months feels part of a team and is just having so much fun. Uh, so, yeah, it's great. Okay, here's a, here's a, a toughie for you. Okay. okay. You absolutely believe and you walk the talk when it comes to the IP model. You, you're very clear. Organisation, need to have everything in place, need to have the structures, need to have the processes, all of that. But for you, it's all about how can I get the people to take ownership for the vision, the strategy? How can I? So it, for you, that balance is absolutely key. Yeah. Okay. And it's proven ev over time that wherever you've been, you've got outstanding results by being able to deliver and walk the talk of the leadership that we talk here. How are they going to hold on to it when you go? The belief and they can feel themselves that they're going to make a difference. And I can see that already. So I, you know, I've got more time to myself because people are doing things for themselves, yeah. but they're enjoying it. 
And the more that people are enjoying it, they can feel and see the results for themselves that they're making a difference. I'd be very surprised if people didn't choose to carry that on. But it's about practice and I cannot emphasize enough that, you know, this, we're not brought up, or certainly in the 70s, I'm sharing some of my age now, yeah. you know, I wasn't brought up to think and communicate in the way that I do now. Yeah. So that was a complete shift and practice that I needed to do. And similarly for a, a lot of people that I've worked with, both currently and over the years. So constant reinforcement. So if I was to choose to go and do something else tomorrow or, you know, got run over by a bus, God forbid, would I be confident that this would continue? I would say yes, but only because I have confidence that there are a number of leaders within that organisation that also have belief they're practising doing it and would have the commitment to go on doing it. But you have to work at it. Yeah, the other thing I would yeah. you know, get them to, to, to come on the programme and, and do, <laughs> do the online programme, perfect to reinforce, because it is about practice. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the interesting thing, um, I had to be a little bit careful how I, how I uh, phrase this, but for you, how comfortable would it be going into an organisation where you may be, you know, CEO of one of the very big divisions of it, but the culture in the rest of the organisation was totally countercultural. How easy would you find that? I would make the choice before I decided. And, and similarly, the business I'm working in now, very, very different culture to what I'd been used to before. Um, <coughs> so working previously for a, a PLC, now this is a, a private equity-backed business, um, so completely different. Yeah. So one, I did a lot of homework beforehand to, to see would I fit. And one of the key things when, uh, as part of the process um, for me joining was important for me to be myself. So authenticity, and we talk about the mask, is fundamental to me. And I, I believe I'm older and wiser now to stay true to myself. So I made a lot of choices before doing the role I do now to say, would this fit? And it didn't all fit, but there was enough of this. And I thought I can work with this and shape it. And your focus not just on all of the hard measures as part of organization but but be me and have the freedom to do that and really shape the business if i went somewhere that there was no opportunity to do that it wouldn't be right for me i wouldn't be true to myself and i wouldn't do it yeah it's really interesting you say that just tell me over the years how long do you think you didn't have the courage to be authentic but actually i suppose just did what the world expected of you and what were those expectations that you felt obliged to live up to? And when did you reach the point of saying, hang on, no, I'm actually going to have the courage to be me? I, I know exactly when it was. Um, <laughs> so I was probably never 100% me until the age of 27. And at that point, I had a light bulb moment. So I'd probably experiment. I was a little bit wild as a, as a teenager and trying, different, <laughs> trying different things, and much to my parents' despair. But you know, trying out imitating, looking like the pop stars, and goodness knows what <laughs> crazy stuff that you yeah. do. And then got into different relationships and wanted to be like following the crowd, and whether it's a boyfriend at the time or the group of friends I was with at the time. And that really was all part of the learning from my perspective. But when I got to work, and it was actually, um, as I said, I was 27, and I had a boss at the time who actually didn't have any children. And she very much wanted me to be like her. Even to the point of, oh, Jane, 
I can send you to my hairdresser and oh, do you need to? So it was kind of a real strange situation. So we you know, wow. had a lot of respect for her, got on very well with her, but she was very, very different to me. So I started trying to be like my boss, not just in a work environment, but in all sorts of shapes and forms of my life. Wow. And I was most unhappiest that I'd ever, ever been. And things just didn't seem to be going right for me. Things that had worked for me in the past just didn't seem to be working anymore. And I was reading a book and I'm doing quite a lot of reading, trying to understand myself. And I was chatting some people um, and it was all about what, what's kind of going on here? Have you lost? It was a very good friend of mine said, Jane, we just seem to have lost you, the essence of who you are. It's either you're trying to be your boss, you're trying to be with a boyfriend and suit what his life is like or something else. You've kind of lost each other. And this is someone I've known since I was five years old. At that point, I thought, do you know something? It's actually okay to be me. It's okay to be Jane Archbold. And from that moment, and I remember going to bed that night, lying in bed and really thinking about it. And I thought, no, no, I have to be me. And from that day since, and it's not always easy, because you do get moulded into maybe different situations. But I have honestly been true to myself since that moment. And you know what? Accepting, if not everybody likes it, then so what? That's life. Um, and there are plenty of situations where um, I have very good relationships with people. You know, I've been very successful, both professionally and personally. And it's about being me. And I, I will not ever lose that. A big, big lesson for me in life. It is, it's really fascinating because I can remember, I mean, you're lucky, you got it at 27, I didn't get it so I was about 50, you know, so I was a very late learner. But I can still remember being asked by this guy who was a healer, an osteopath, who said to me, could the real Penny Ferguson stand mm. up please? And I just burst into tears, I said, I don't know who I am, I'm so busy trying to be who my husband wants me to be, the perfect yeah. wife, my children want me to be, the perfect mother, my clients want me to be, the perfect consultant. I didn't know... I literally said, I don't know who I am. And it is fascinating if you think about it and you come back to the IP model, the organization in so many organizations endeavors to make you one way to conform. Yeah. And I think it takes a lot of courage to be able to say, I'm going to be who I am. And of course, authenticity is one of the most critical things in leaders, but it's not always easy to hold on to that. And I think choosing to do that is absolutely key. I would, I totally agree, Penny, and I'm, I'm so pleased that I did get it that early. And it's, you are challenged, so it's, I'm not sat here thinking it's easy. You know, especially a woman working in the technology sector, in the early days, very much male-dominated. A lot of um, very tech people, that's not me. I'm kind of more a people person, more a business person. And I used to be terrified going into certain meetings. But when I've performed at my best, I've just been me. And I can ask the right questions, I can understand, I respect other people's views and a different way of communicating. Whereas I think when I was trying to be other people, I'd be going in there and opening my mouth and trying to talk about things that I didn't even know about because I thought that that was the right way to do things. So just learning from, from mistakes. Um, and also knowing even now there are certain situations where I'm not comfortable, but I, I acknowledge that and it's, not about um, you know what I'm going to get it's what I can give to that situation and understanding that and, and actually just being relaxed about it you know I think it's fascinating and one of the things you haven't done and I would like you to just share with people because I've known you for a while what you haven't shared at all is actually the successes that you've had 
So in measurable terms, as a result of really beginning to understand leadership in this way, really beginning to understand the importance of getting people not just to focus on the organization, but how do they fundamentally shift their thinking? How do they truly begin to take ownership? And you've begun to live it, breathe it, walk it in whatever way. Just share with people what are the actual results that you've achieved, because they're pretty spectacular. Okay. So that, <coughs> if I go back to the, the, the days at Sage when we took this through the whole division, increased revenue at a time when the rest of the business was doing you know, one or two percent growth to double-digit growth, 12 percent I believe the first year, and then uh, near enough 20 percent the second year. So that's in terms of top-line revenue um, results, which is what we were focusing on. Um, I need to be careful in my current position. Yes. Um, <laughs> But um, in terms of the EBITDA of the business, so the, the profit of the business, um, improving that by three, three and a half times um, since joining, um, and that's not even in two years. Um, so it can you know, it, it improve both your top line and your bottom line. Other KPIs, so improving customer satisfaction and a whole host of hard measures. The interesting thing for me, Penny, is probably why I haven't talked about it, now, whereas in the past, you know, going back 15 years or so more, I would have focused on the outcome. So what is the result? What is the result? Now I tend to not talk about that too much because I'm focusing on how we're going to get to that, which is all around people, and then the result will happen. So I will look at my figures, and actually I haven't looked at them this week yet. I'll be doing that on <laughs> Friday morning. So it's not that I don't do that. I'll be yeah. going through our sales figures. I'll be talking through you know, with the sales teams. But what activities and what are they doing themselves as individuals to make the difference? And that's what will get the outcome and the results. Yeah, and I, you see, I think everything that you've achieved is really impressive. And when you think about it, I think in many ways we're both similar on this. It's about not just coming from head, which let's face it, nearly all training's about. Can I give people more knowledge, more wisdom, more understanding? It's about taking it to the next level. Yep. It's about saying, how can I help people really come from heart? And of course, the introductions, getting people to, f getting, finding out what people's passions really, truly are, because otherwise, how the heck do you help them yep. move forward? Absolutely. So if you had to now finish by saying, what you really passionately believe in whatever terms you choose to phrase it about leadership, what would you say? Leadership for me um, is all about other people. It's about inspiring them to, to do things for themselves. And I have seen some truly amazing things when people are really empowered and to think differently and therefore get different results. So for me, as I said earlier, the mark of an outstanding leader is not just about how good a leader you are, but how many other people that you develop. And that's my passion and what makes me really proud. And I believe you've also done a pretty good job when you've, you know, with Mick and with his children and helping them develop themselves to an amazing level as well. Yeah, absolutely. So they were, when we've been together 22 years. He wow, had, have you really? Yeah. A long time and yeah. they, so the boys were very small so I'm a stepmother to four um, yeah. no children of my own it was a bit of a shock at the age of maybe that's when I decided it's okay to be me because I met him <laughs> when I was 26 and this is when I was 27 yeah. um, but just seeing the impact on their life so communicating to them differently um, seeing their confidence grow so they're you know two of them self-employed working for themselves would never ever have done that before um, 
and I had the confidence and the belief that they could actually do this. But yeah, very, very strong relationship. Don't see them all of the time. I'm traveling a lot with work to live. We're fortunate to live near us, to our, our back up in Newcastle. So I would like to see not just the boys, but all of our family more. But yeah, just seeing, seeing them and how proud both Mick and I are of what all four of them, so there's, there's four boys, um, are doing with their lives um, is, is fantastic. Jane, thanks very much. I'm really grateful and you're a very inspirational leader. So thanks very much for giving me your time. Well, thank you, Pen. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And I look forward to working with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank Take you. Care. So there's my conversation with Jane. I hope you took some things from it. I hope you enjoyed it. Jane is one of those larger than life characters and what she has achieved in turning around businesses is nothing short of amazing. She is truly exceptional. I enjoyed talking to her. It's possibly a bit more general, but I hope that you will still have taken some really useful insights and thoughts. For those of you who are listening in a car, not so easy to make some notes and jot them down. But for those of you who are listening in a place where you can, it would be really great if you could begin to jot down the odd note, say what you're taking from all of these podcasts that we're doing, and drop me a line to say this is what we found useful. And what would also be great is if you could say is that anybody that you've worked with who could talk more about whatever, whoopity-whoop, well, I'd like to know this bit more about leadership or this would really interest me. If I get any of those emails, you can be sure that I will, amongst our clients, be able to find somebody that you will really enjoy listening to who can maybe give you, share some of those insights. So please do let me know. Remember, penny at thelivingleader.com. And I look forward to speaking to you again on our next podcast.